we are getting ready to dive into the Word of God. Through the Word of God, we hear the voice of God. We hear Him speak. He answers our biggest questions. He doesn't always answer all of them. But He's given it to us so that we may know Him and so that we may know what He desires from us. And every week we study it together. Right now we're going through a part of the Bible called 1 John. 1 John is a letter. Uh, The Bible word for it or a common word for it is it's an epistle. But it's a letter from the Apostle John who knew Jesus really, really well the last three years of his life. And uh, he wrote this letter 50 or 60 years after Jesus died. And he wrote it to uh, some so a group of Christians um, in what is today Eastern Turkey. And he wrote it because he loved them and he was concerned about them. And there were things that he wanted them to know that they needed to know. There were people out there who were trying to trick them and deceive them. And John had a lot to say. So as we go through our passage today, um, you're going to see some things that Um, We've heard from John before. Last week, we looked at uh, verses 2 and 3 of our passage today. And we saw him talk a lot about the second coming of Christ. And that was really our focus last week. I'm not going to dive into that much at all today. But what we're going to look at today is much more about his first coming 2,000 years ago. And what that has to do with us today. And in this passage, John is trying to set the record straight. Because there were some things that people believed at that time that are similar. Well, they're the same as some things that people in our world believe today. And maybe even perhaps some of you might believe today. And John is writing to correct them. John wants to draw a line in the sand that is immovable. He's got some things to say in this passage that are not negotiable. There are things that we can't get around that he shares in this passage. One of the beautiful things about this passage... uh, Tina, could you go to the next slide? I was supposed to do that. I'm sorry. Um, One of the beautiful things that we see in this passage is we're going to learn a lot about what's called the new birth or being born again or born of God. We're going to learn a lot about the love of God. So I'm excited. Our passage today... It's 1 John chapter 3. Uh, If you would, grab a Bible. If you don't have your own, get one of the blue ones in the middle of the table. We're going to go through 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. It's on page 1,124. Uh, Next week, we're going to go over verses 11 through 24. So write that down in your worship guide, if you would, and uh, look over that some uh, between now and next Sunday. And... uh, The way we study the Bible here is usually I introduce it, which I've already done, and I'll read the passage in just a moment, and then after that, you'll have the opportunity to read it to yourself a few times, just kind of get familiar with it, get familiar with some of the basic ideas. You'll probably have some questions. Well, after you read it for a few minutes to yourself, you'll have the opportunity to ask those questions. You'll have the opportunity to share some observations. So just jump into it. The Bible's not just for the preacher, but it's for all of God's people. So uh, we're going to do it together in just a moment. So 1 John 3, verses 1 through 10. I'll begin with verse 1. See what kind of love 
the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes the practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. All right, everybody. I think there's been some fantastic discussion at both tables. I'm going to be here today just so I'm kind of closer. Um, What I want to do, I want to start in verse 4 and go through verse 10. And then we're going to go back and really dive into verse 1. I'm not going to treat verse 2 and verse 3 much. We looked at that more last week. Um, Let's look at verse 4. Everyone who makes the practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. We can have very elementary, immature understandings of sin. We can say sin is doing something bad. We can say sin is doing something selfish. We can say sinning is hurting someone. And all of those things would be true. But here John brings in an idea that we have not heard him mention at all uh, in the first three chapters of this letter. And he says that sin is lawlessness. Did you know that when we sin... We're, we're actually breaking the law of God. That God, who is judge, is also the one who writes the laws, is also the one who enforces the laws. He is also the one who keeps us, who keeps his creatures accountable. So he says, if you make a practice of sinning, you also practice lawlessness. You're living as if there is no law. And the truth is, there is a law. And in Romans 1, it tells us that even people who've never even heard the gospel or never even heard of Jesus, that they can look up at God and they can look at his creation and they can see that there is a God and that this God has expectations and requirements of them. And there's the phrase here in verse 4, everyone who makes a practice, who makes a practice. Between verses 4 and 10, there are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 times 
where it's speaking of practicing righteousness or practicing sin. Or it might say, keeps on sinning. At least that's what it says in the ESV, which is what I have today, which is what we read from earlier. Some of your other translations aren't quite as precise. And one of the things that we encountered at the table that I was sitting at was that if you sin, then that means that you're not of God and that you do not belong to God. It, it's not precise. It almost leaves you wondering, did what I do yesterday just kick me out of the family of God? But this phrase, keep on sinning, and if your translation says whoever sins, this phrase that says practices righteousness, it has to do with the continual uh, dynamic. It's, uh, it, it's, the Greek tense is definitely beyond the shadow of a doubt talking about a continual lifestyle. Today, and it's, this has been true since I was 13 years old, when I sin, I usually realize it. And I, it upsets me. I want to stop. I don't want to keep on doing it. I don't want to carry on with that. It grieves me. And when today's passage, when we see that idea of someone who sins, it's talking about a lifestyle. It's talking about a, a decision to not fight against sin, but to just go with the flow and to live as if there is no law. We get into verse 5, and we're talking about Jesus here. And John writes, you know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. So for the readers of this letter, it's not the first time they've heard this. And for us today, it's not the first time we've heard this. We know, if you've been in church for a while, and every single one of us in this room has been, you know that the reason Jesus appeared was to take away sin. And he took away sin, and he put it to death, he removed it, and in him there is no sin. He never committed sin himself, but he voluntarily, in obedience to his Father, took on the sin of man, and he conquered it, he defeated it, that sin was upon him, and he suffered greatly for it, but now... There's no sin because he had full victory over sin in every single way. So last week we saw that at his second coming, he's going to finish putting away sin completely. And what I mean by that is that the sin of everyone in the world is going to be gone. It's not going to be there anywhere in any of his creations. Everyone's going to know that he is God, and either you're going to be enjoying his presence in worship of him in the new heavens or the new earth, or you will be in eternal hellfire, damnation, and punishment. And so, in that day, all sin will be completely gone. But today, he has no sin in him. And he took the sin and has paid the price for it for everyone who has believed upon him. So there is this already element to our faith, to the story of God, but then there's some things that haven't happened yet. In him there is no sin because he has conquered it. 
And anyone who believes in him has victory over that sin. That's what 1 John 5, 4 says. But there's still a battle going on in the world. He hasn't completely conquered it in the lives of his enemies. But he's patient and he's waiting for people to come to repentance. We get to verse 6. And we have this idea again of abiding. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. What does it mean to abide? It means to remain it means to stay attached. We had this volunteer pumpkin plant that came up in our garden this year. And Becky and I gave me a ton of compost. And anytime you get compost, there's always seeds in it. And this plant just, just back in April just started shooting up out of the thing. We didn't know what it was, but it was just taking over this whole part of the yard. The vine was probably 15 feet long. And we were all trying to figure out, what is it? What is it? What is it? And all of a sudden, something started growing. And we're like, it's a spaghetti squash. It's a watermelon. It's, it's this. It's that. It's that. We, we didn't know it's a pumpkin is what it is. We got a pumpkin. We harvested it a few days ago. So we have a pumpkin. But after we took the pumpkin off, I chopped the vine off and threw it over in the woods. Well, what's happening to that vine right now? As it's sitting there getting baked by the sun and getting consumed by insects. It's, it's rotting. It's brown. It's dead. It's ugly. The idea of abiding has to do with staying attached to that which gives us life. Who is our life giver? He's Jesus. He is Jesus. And we are commanded in Colossians 2 to sink our roots deep down into Jesus. And this captures the idea that we see in abiding in verse 6. So no one who abides in Jesus can keep on sinning. If you abide in Christ, if you stay attached to Him, if you are remaining in Him, then I tell you, your affections, your longings, your desires, the things that you want change. And if Jesus is in your life, you can't keep doing the things that you do. And when you do go back to that life for a day or two or for an hour or two, it upsets you when you realize what you've done because you realize you have grieved the one who lives inside of you. So verse 6, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. So the opposite of that is true. If someone is living a sinful life, then we have every reason to believe that they've never seen Jesus and they don't know him in a relational way. Head knowledge, absolutely. You can have that all day long. But that relational knowledge, and we're going to talk about the relational knowledge quite a bit in verses 9 and 10 and in verse 1. So whoever keeps on sinning has either, no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. And I really think verse 7 and 8 go together quite well. But little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. In verse 7 we have a command. Do not be deceived. There was a lie going on in that day that's still around in Gates County today. And that is that you can, you can play the Christian card. You can be 
you know, you can go to church Sunday morning and live however you want to the other six and a half days of the week and God has no authority over your life. That is something you will hear in school. That is something you will hear in some churches. That is something that you will hear on social media. This is something that you will hear in the news. This is something that some of your family members and closest friends want you to believe. They want you to believe that they can continue to make a practice of sinning. They can continue shacking up on the weekends. They can continue in this addiction or that addiction. They can continue in being a compulsive liar. And, and, and there's so many different things that we can put here. They believe that they don't have to put themselves under the law of God. And it's not true. Let no one deceive you. John says it so clearly. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Where does our righteous life come from? It comes from Jesus and his righteous. Paul teaches us that even though we're not perfect today, we have the righteousness of Christ. And that's in us now that we're a child of God. And you know what the Christian life is all about? It's just like letting the righteousness of Jesus that is fully and completely yours just affect your daily life over and over and over again. You walking with God isn't about you trying to be really, really good. No, it's about letting God let... It's about letting God work in you the way that he wants to work in you. And when you put Christianity and spirituality in terms like that, it is actually incredibly simple and it's so much easier than following all these rules and doing all of this stuff. So whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Verse 8 says the opposite. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Uh-oh. John talks about the devil a lot. <laughs> it, it's a, if I recall, it's at least six or seven times throughout the entire epistle. And I was tempted to kind of bring all those verses together this morning. He talks about the devil a lot. The devil is his enemy. The devil is our enemy. The devil was there in the garden. We see this in Genesis chapter 3. We see the devil at the end when final victory takes place for God and for his people. And the devil receives his due punishment. But here, if you make a practice of sinning, you're of the devil. That's harsh. Yeah, it is. If you don't take your sin serious. That's harsh. If you think that you can be your own king and live however you want. That's harsh if you are in a lifestyle of sin and if you are of the devil. Darn right not it's harsh. But I go to church. But I give to charity. But I do this. But I do that. But I'm a deacon. I, I, I don't care. I was baptized when I was 12. It doesn't matter. John's not talking about any of those good things you can do. He is talking about how you live your life. Do you live your life where you practice righteousness or do you give yourself to sin, not really caring or giving a thought to what it is that God requires of you? So verse 8, if you make a practice of sinning, you're of the devil. Why does he say that? Let's continue in verse 8. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Very early on, he decided, God, I'm going to do things my way. And ever since, he has been sinning. So if you're sinning, if you're living your life however you want, then you are of the devil because that, because you're living your life the same way the devil has lived his. At the end of verse 8, and I love this, and I could go here for <laughs> a really long time. The reason the Son of God appeared 
was to destroy the works of the devil. How did that happen? I already covered that a little bit. The first time Jesus came, he came and he sacrificed himself so that we could be free from the power of sin. Now we're in this in-between period and he's coming back again. And at that time, he will bring justice and judgment to all of his enemies and to all of those who have been forgiven. They will receive their reward and their inheritance. But the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. This has already been done, but it is not yet complete. What is it? What are the works of the devil? When I see at the end of verse 8, he says that Jesus appeared to destroy the works of the devil. And then I look at verse 5. There's a strong connection here. You know that he appeared to take away sin, and in him there is no sin. In verse 6, if you abide in him, you will not keep on sinning. I believe the work of the devil is sin. And Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil. Jesus came to take away sin. And he's done that in our lives today. And he just wants to continue doing that for all eternity. So why did Jesus appear? To take away sin, which is the work of the devil. So we get into verse 9 and verse 10. And we have this phrase that is just beautiful. And I dove into it deeper on uh, Wednesday and Thursday than I have ever dove into this phrase before in my life. And it was rewarding. It was enjoyable. It was incredible. It was awesome in so many ways. But we have this idea of being born of God. And, and so we're talking about birth here. Now, the Bible uses a lot of analogies. The Bible uses a lot of metaphors. And there's not a perfect analogy that captures everything. And there's not a perfect analogy or metaphor that... that you can take every detail about and read it back into God and the gospel and his word. But sometimes there's these big ideas that come up over and over again in scripture. And one of them is this idea of being born of God. It has to do with a birth. Another idea that we're going to see when we get back to verse 1 is adoption. You know, and, and, and so God has done both of these things. He's adopted us and we've been born of him. Which usually we think that, you know... Those two things are separate. Like if you have a biological child, that, that that's you know, one thing. And you know, your adopted child can't be your biological child. But for God, it's almost like he brings both of these things together. And this is a mysterious thing. I can't explain all the details of it. But we are adopted by God. And we'll see that in a moment. But at the same time, there's been a birth. That has taken place. And this idea, before we get into verses 9 and 10, I want to read a few other verses to you. In 1 John 2, 29, he says, If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So if someone is living a godly life, then you can be sure. And sometimes we can't always be the judge of that because there's so much of their life we can't see. So don't take this verse and just go and try to make a judgment on everyone because you're not qualified to do that. But... If you know that Jesus is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. If we go to 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, John writes this. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 
In chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father... Who, wait, I'm sorry. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. In chapter 5, verse 4, it says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. This idea of a new birth is a huge idea in John's theology. It's just, it, it's how he sees so much of the, the, the people in the world that he lives in. Uh, in John chapter 3, in his gospel, actually, in John's gospel, verse one, chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, he says this, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He's talking about a new birth here. He says you were born not of the will of the flesh, not because you and your goodness decided you wanted to be born again, But you being born again has to do with the will of God. And when we get in discussions about free will, we have to be so careful about how we define our terms. Because there can be heated debates, and what's being debated are two different things in the different people's minds. So we got to be so careful when we discuss these things. But here in this verse, in John, this is John 1, 12 and 13, not 1 John. But he says clearly... That anyone who's a child of God was not born out of the will of their own flesh, but they were born out of the will of God. And that has huge implications for us as far as how we look at God and think about ourselves and the world that we live in. It has huge implications for how we think about evangelism. And so let's get into this new birth thing uh, back in 1 John 3, 9 and 10. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. There at the beginning in verse 9, it says it in such clear terms. No one born of God keeps on sinning or makes a practice of sinning. It's so clear. He's already said this several times. And then he talks about a seed. For God's seed abides in him. I told you about a seed earlier that gave us a pumpkin this week. All right. When that seed germinated back in the early spring, it was a pumpkin seed. It came from a pumpkin and it did not give me a pepper. It didn't do it. If you are born of God... If you're a child of God, you're like your father. And your father is not the devil. So you're not going to be like the devil. And you can't be like the devil if God is truly your father. You can't do it. No one born of God makes the practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him. I have a dad. All of you know it. I will always be like my father. Right? There are certain things about me. That I will never be able to change. I'm going to look like him. I'm going to say things like him. I'm going to do the good things that he does. I'm going to do some of the bad things that he does. My kids, the same way. It's going to be undeniable. If you want to know what I was like when I was eight years old, hang out with Evangeline for a little bit. (laughs) She is so much like me. And that's both wonderful and hard. Because she struggles with some of the same things that I struggle with. But we're going to be like our father. Okay, the pumpkin is going to be a pumpkin because the seed that germinated 
was a pumpkin and not a pepper, not a tomato. We will be like that from which we come. And if we are of God, we will be like God. All right, so it says, God's, verse 9, God's seed abides in him. He cannot keep on sinning. John says it here in no uncertain terms. This is, um, I mean, he, he just says it, he, he says it like this, like it's impossible. He cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Here's what I take away from that. If you've been born of God, there is something fundamental about your nature that has completely changed that will never be the same again. You can't go back to the way that you were. And there were a few times in my life where I tried to go back to the way I was. And I couldn't keep on. I couldn't do it. And if you've ever felt that before, then it's almost a sure sign that you truly do belong to God. Verse 10, he's saying the same thing. By this, it is evident. Okay, this is evidence. Okay, we can be fruit inspectors. We can conclude things based on what we see. We have to do it carefully. But John is telling you, by this it is evident. He's almost saying, by this it is obvious who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Early on in Jesus' ministry, there was a man, he was a Jewish leader, his name was Nicodemus. He searched out Jesus um, alone, because he didn't want to go up in a group. But he went and he asked him a few questions. And one of the things, that, this is in John chapter 3, one of the things that Jesus said to him was that, if you're not born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is a grown man. And he's like, what are you talking about, Jesus? You mean i got to enter back into my mom's womb and be born again? Well, Jesus said to him, unless you're born of water and the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus continues, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Jesus is talking about most likely our physical birth, which we've all done that. <laughs> And he's also talking about our spiritual birth, which probably most of us in this room today, if not all of us, have, have gone through. Now, one of the things that's neat about this, I didn't choose to be born 36 years ago. And I read to you John 1, 12, and 13 earlier, but he gave us right to become the children of God. And we were born not, that our spiritual birth was not of the flesh, or of our own will, but it was of the will of God. I did not choose to be born and be brought into this world. And I did not choose God. He chose me, and because he chose me, I was able, and even I believe it was necessary, I believe that because of God's work in my life, I chose him. And so this conversation that Jesus was having with this Jewish leader was just blowing Nicodemus's mind. He couldn't take it all in. He couldn't believe it. He, Jesus told him, you, unless you're born of water and the Spirit, you can't come into the kingdom of God. What do you mean, Jesus, about the Spirit? And Jesus says, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. I've never seen the wind. I've seen the effects of the wind. And you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. We don't choose to be born. But we must realize that if we've been changed by God, if we know Christ today, it's because of a prior work that He has done in us. And out of that work, our faith came 
And we've been able to put sin out of our life because of the prior work that he has done. Now, you hear me saying that. Well, does that mean you have to tell people about Jesus? Absolutely. See, some people will take what I just told you and think, well, I don't have to tell anyone about Jesus. Well, that's hogwash. Actually, when I come to understand what John is writing here, it makes me want to tell people even more. Because I know that God is the one who brings new life. God is the one who does the new birth. It's not me. I have to be the messenger. And then from that, the Holy Spirit will come in and he will change someone. Let's move on to verse 1. Back to verse 1. This is, you know, all the years I've been reading the Bible. And this verse and one other, this, this verse is one of two verses that I just hear over and over again from 1 John. For two decades now, when I've thought of 1 John, this verse has come to mind. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. See what kind of love. I don't think our passage has ever started out with a command. (laughs) But this one does. See. See. And this isn't like the, I'm going to ride by, I see they're building a new house, you know, right there by the graveyard in Gatesville. You, You know, this is like... You know, this, this isn't like, you know, just like, oh, wow, man, that house is going up quick. This is like stopping, pulling over, you know, whether people are working there and building that house or not, you want to go in and you want to see what they're doing. You want to check to make that the studs are on 16-inch centers. You want to check to make that the electrician is doing his stuff right. You want to check to make that it's quality work and you want to know the details and the nooks and crannies of that house. You want to look at every part of it. You want to go in every walk-in closet. You want to go underneath the house and see how they did the footers. That's what Jesus, that's what John is talking about here. To gaze upon the love of God. The kind of love. Not just the love of God, but the kind of love. Because this love that has made us children of God is unlike any other love in our world today. This is the most special love. It is the most affectionate love. It is love that costs God more than anything else he's ever given. I think I said that right. See what kind of love. This idea of what kind is a phrase that's not used very often in the Bible at all. There are two places from the Gospels that I want to point out. Uh, Do you remember the story of Jesus? He went to sleep in the boat and then all of a sudden the storm came and everyone was like, Jesus, Jesus, come do something. And Jesus rebuked the winds and the waves and it calmed down. Well, the people respond, the disciples who were with him responded in Matthew 8, 27 by marveling. And they said this, what sort of man is this? What kind of man is this? What kind of teacher is this? What kind of prophet is this? That even the winds and the waves obey him. In Matthew 13, a few days before Jesus died on the cross, he's, he's, he's been in the temple all day long. And it's the end of the day, and him and his disciples are leaving the temple. And, and his disciples say to Jesus, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones. It would be like walking in New York City and downtown and, and looking up at the skyscrapers. What incredible buildings. They're 150 stories high. Wow. This is incredible. And John is saying that about the love of God. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. And what happened? Because of the love that the Father has chosen to give to you, you're now his kid. You're now his child. He's your daddy. You were not his dad, or he was not your daddy. Okay, not everyone in the world is a child of God. 
The devil was actually your daddy, just like he used to be mine, because I kept on sinning, as we saw earlier. But we are his child. We should be called the children of God, and so we are. So we are, because of the incredible love that God has given us. And John is saying here to look at it. To see it, to put it under a magnifying glass, to walk around it and to look at it from every angle, to pick it up and to look and to want to know what's going on with this love because it's so beautiful, it's so wonderful, it's so incredible. And his love is so great that he has reached out and grabbed a hold of you when you were his enemy and when you were in sin and he has made you one of his and he is gradually sanctifying you and transforming you and making you more like him. Ephesians 2.4, God writes this, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And we see birth, but we see adoption. Both of these things happened when we came into the family of God. Ephesians 1 says, In love he predestined us for adoption. Eh, You weren't his kid, now you are. (laughs) And I'm speaking for most of us, probably all of us in here, certainly all of us. We weren't very put together before Jesus. And you know what? He said, I want that. And now, because of that, we are his more than anything else today. I I would say the secondary application of what I've shared with you from this passage today is to not be deceived that anyone who keeps on sinning is still in sin and is of the devil. And anyone who lives a righteous life is of God and has been born of God. But the primary application of what I'm sharing with you today is that God's love is like no other. And you need to look at this kind of love that he has. And you need to look at it. And gaze upon it over and over and over again. And because of that love, we can be changed. Because of that love, our lives do not have to continue as they have been in the past. Because of that love, we have hope that things will get better for all eternity from now until we see them. That's the love that he has for us. That's what the new birth does to us. Cling to Jesus. Give yourself completely to him. And look into his face and marvel at his great and incredible love.